Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up tonight on I'm Right, we have Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, we have an attorney general, we have Kara Frederick, we have a gigantic COVID show. You didn't think all this tyranny was over, did you? Coming up. You creeped out by now? I don't know about you, I'm a little bit creeped out. I'm creeped out by how comfortable our politicians have become speaking down to us, speaking down to anyone they view as their political opponents, you know, Nazi, white supremacist, enemy of democracy. I'm getting uncomfortable with the President of the United States saying things like he's losing patience with us, his patience is wearing thin. I get uncomfortable when I see the White House press secretary asked about some billionaire buying Twitter and she cryptically says she's keeping an eye on it. There's a researcher at Stanford who says that this is a critical moment really in terms of um, ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector for misinformation. I mean, are you concerned about the, you know, 
Elon Musk says there's more and more uh, subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about that? And what tools do you have? Who is it at the White House that is really keeping track of this? So look, this is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. It's time for the states to start taking an out-of-control federal government a lot more seriously than most of them currently are. Thankfully, there is somebody out there who's been outstanding on this, and we've had, like, nobody be outstanding on this. Joining me now, current attorney general of the great state of Missouri, but he won't be there long. No, they didn't kick him out. They're sending him to the United States Senate. Thank God for that, because all of our senators, well, most of them suck. Joining me now, attorney general Eric Schmidt. Why does the federal government feel so comfortable speaking to us this way now? That I, I'm not that old. I don't remember presidents ever speaking this way to us. Well, I think the left, uh, the truth is, which is now dominating the Democrat Party, uh, really uh, hates the First Amendment. They like controlling the narrative, which is why you see this reaction to Elon Musk buying Twitter is so threatening, because what they really want to do is it's about power and control. And if somebody has a dissenting opinion, they want to cast them out. This is no longer about the free exchange of ideas or freedom of speech and people, you know, in the public square, people get to have their say. And the First Amendment has always been this kind of pressure release valve for our country. It's the beating heart of the Constitution. But now you have one political party that views that as dangerous and they'll label anybody that disagrees with them as, you know, just pick the pick the name they want to call them or quote unquote misinformation or disinformation. But this has reached now the highest levels of government, Jesse. I mean, this is why we filed the lawsuit against the Biden administration to expose not just these big tech big tech platforms doing them themselves, which they receive the benefit of Section 230 protection, but now, which they shouldn't, but now you've got the federal government, big government colluding with big tech to outsource its censorship, which should be illegal in this country, and they're doing it. And so we filed the lawsuit in, in May. We've made a lot of progress. The discovery has unfolded some shocking revelations like weekly censorship meetings that the Biden administration was having with uh, big tech partners, a special portal for them to get information to big tech to deplatform folks, text messages from uh, high ranking Facebook officials directly to the, uh, the Surgeon General of the United States saying, hey, we took that person you know, down, we took those comments down, what else can we do? I mean, this is shocking stuff. Uh, and then, of course, we had the seven-hour Fauci deposition last week, which revealed a lot, too. You know what? Actually, let's begin with the Fauci stuff, because I'm, I'm dying to get to the big tech stuff. But I want to begin with Fauci just because of how much damage he's done. Tell me what you did and wh why did you even get to be able to depose him? What happened? What would you do? Yeah, so in that lawsuit where we're alleging and now proving that big government colluded with big tech, a, very, a central focus of that lawsuit is that, you know, during COVID, the government was working hand in hand with big tech to silence dissent. And of course, the main character in the middle of this play is Anthony Fauci. And it's really interesting because he has, you know, tried to present himself as this all-knowing, I am the science guy. But in his deposition, there was a lot of I don't recalls. I think that was clear. But over seven hours, we were able to, you know, extract a lot of really important information. For example, uh, the lab leak theory which is absolutely credible, the most likely explanation for what actually happened. Uh, his agency was funding research at the Wuhan lab. Uh, and what you see in that deposition is that very early in February, when he becomes you know, aware of this um, as, a, as, a, as a story that's moving, they quickly move to discredit it. And only weeks later, anybody that utters it 
is you know uh, peddling disinformation. And guess what big tech does? Big tech then starts censoring people at the behest of people like Anthony Fauci and his communications team. Secondly, as far as the restrictions that were being in place, what should the response be? He sent Dr. Lane, his chief lieutenant, to China to observe what, what they were doing in China. He comes back raving about these Chinese extreme measures, these lockdowns that the communists were putting in place for their people. And so Fauci uh, loved that idea, was certainly advocating for it. And then you've got masks. In, uh, in February of 2020, a friend emails him and says, hey, should I wear a mask on the plane given everything that's going on with COVID? His response essentially is masks are completely ineffective. You don't need to wear a mask. That is that opinion is affirmed by studies that are presented to him as late as March 31st of 2020. Four days later, Jesse, he comes out in a press conference, essentially saying that you know masks are uh, masks should be required, masks should be used, and then we've got you know masking of school kids, COVID tyranny is born, lives are ruined. So this guy has been making it up as he goes along. This is about power and control. It's never been about the science, but it's really important part of this case because to prove essentially that Fauci, whatever Fauci says when he speaks, big tech will censor. And so uh, that's part of why we got the deposition scheduled. The judge agreed to let us have it. We've got depositions coming of an FBI agent that's actually happening today on the Hunter Biden laptop story. Jen Psaki's coming in a couple of weeks. So we are moving this thing along and for the first time getting a peek under the hood of this Orwellian, machine that was created, this ministry of truth that ought to frighten every American. Uh, it's one of the things I love that you're doing, I, honestly, we'll, we'll come back to the big tech portion of this. I love the FBI stuff. I love that. I love that you're using the state power. You're using the power of the state attorney general. They have incredible amounts of power to protect your citizens in the state of Missouri from a gross federal government overreach. Please tell me this mentality is going to spread throughout the GOP. I'm in the state of Texas. We're in a red state. Our Republican Party is completely useless. A whole bunch of eunuchs. You never see anything like this out of the Texas GOP. This kind of mentality, the states are what we need to protect citizens. Are we moving in that direction? Yes, and this is an affirmation of our system of federalism. Look, the founders created a system, Jesse, to spread out power to disperse it. We were rebelling from a central authority. We we're rebelling from a king that controlled everything, right? And so what the founders created was a system to spread out government, checks and balances, separation of powers, and the states created the federal government. We agreed, the states agreed, what powers the federal government should have. We thought so much about this that actually in the Constitution, in the First Amendment, we said the government shouldn't have any role in constricting or censoring speech, right? And then all the powers that we didn't give the federal government are retained by the states. Well, here we go. Missouri has always been skeptical of a overreaching federal government a thousand miles away telling us how to live our lives. And so I'm representing the people. We're challenging when the federal government goes outside their legal authorities, we have pushed back, whether it was on Title 40, whether it was on, you know, immigration issues, whether it was on energy issues, you know, canceling a lot of these leases, um, doing things that they have no business doing, including, of course, censoring speech. So I viewed it as my role to protect the liberty of every one of the six million uh, Missourians that live here that don't want the federal government telling them what they can say and when they can say it. And I'm going to take that same spirit to the United States Senate. But with every breath I have as AG, we're going to continue fighting this. Go get them. I love hearing that stuff. I hope it spreads like wildfire. Attorney General, soon to be Senator, I'll break bread with you in Washington sometime. I appreciate you, sir. We love it. Take care.
You hear that? Republican states, forget about the feds. You hear that states? You state AGs, governors, that's how it's done. You have incredible amounts of power. Stop punishing your citizens. Start protecting your citizens from an out of control federal government. We can do this legally, legally and locally. The red states, that is our path to freedom out there. All right. We're going to talk to jo Dr. Jay Bhattacharya next about the medical tyranny when it comes to COVID and what's still happening out there. You're not going to believe this new California bill. Before we get to that, let's get to this. Because, look, I'm going to ask Dr. Jay about doctors, about the medical institutions. Why are they a bunch of lemmings in this country? What, what happened? Either way, I don't trust doctors as much as I used to. That's putting it pretty mildly. I'm trying to avoid the doctor. Got up today, went for a long walk with the wife, and then lifted weights, trying to eat a little bit better. Trying to be healthier so I can avoid the doctor. Part of being healthy is the air you breathe. I have Eden Pure Thunderstorms, three of them in my home, three of them in the studio, not just because they fixed my allergies, that's a nice side benefit of it. I have them wherever I exist because they kill the viruses and mold in the air. It keeps me healthier, makes my lungs feel better, throat feel better. I know I'm healthier because of Eden Pure Thunderstorm. They have three packs for sale for my viewers for under $200. Go to EdenPureDeals.com, code JESSE gets you a three pack for under $200. EdenPureDeals.com, code JESSE. Go now. We'll be back. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. What censorship did is, is it's not just that it suppressed the voices of the people that were censored, although that was bad enough. It sent a signal to, the, to other scientists that, look, these areas are too controversial. Stay out of them. Otherwise, you're going to lose your reputation, too. And as a result, you have this illusion of a consensus that never existed on so many topics. We rob the American people of a true debate. The truth comes from people honestly engaging with the data. Censorship kills that. Censorship kills science. And I think censorship actually killed people during this pandemic. Censorship killed people. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Joining me now, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor, Stanford School of Medicine, also author of the book, The Great Barrington Declaration, which we're going to get to in a minute. Doctor, thank you again for joining us. Please tell me, how did censorship kill people? The key thing is, uh, Jesse, is that science is messy. It requires different people talking to each other, disagreeing with each other, coming up with experiments that, to like determine what the truth is. It takes time and it takes courage. Like you have to speak up when uh, almost everybody else thinks one way, you know, somebody, some scientist comes along and says, no, that's not right. And then 
turns out to be right. Um, censorship killed people by locking in place bad ideas during the pandemic. Ideas like there's no immunity after COVID recovery. Ideas like it's impossible to treat the, the, the disease at all. Ideas like the vaccine has no side effects at all. Uh, the ideas like it's, it's vaccine mandates are the only way to get to herd immunity. Ideas like herd immunity is only possible through a vaccine. Each and every one of these ideas did harm. Oh, ideas like we shouldn't be talking about the economic harms from the lockdowns uh, because uh, they're, they're not important, even though it destroyed the lives of poor people around the world. Ideas like, oh, it's okay to keep kids out of school. That won't harm them, even though it'll shorten their lives, lead them to, to less healthy lives as a, as a consequence of keeping kids out of school. These ideas all should have been debated up front. And instead, we had the censorship regime that just suppressed scientific discussion around this and, and, just, and led to just incredibly probably the worst public health policy in my lifetime. Doctor, can you help me understand, because I'm obviously not, I have no business in that heady world of yours. I, I'm with the dumb people over here. Can you help me understand why so many people in that community, so high IQ people, did go along lockstep with each other? It doesn't make sense to me, because I, I mean, may, apparently I'm naive. I picture this, you know, gigantic room full of geniuses, everyone trying to work things out and figure things out. And instead, what I saw was only a few of you trying to do that, and the rest are a bunch of lemmings. How does that happen? Uh, Jesse, can I just say, you're not one of the dumb guys. Fr frankly, like, you had a better intuition than most epidemiologists that spoke up. Um, and, and I'd also, the other thing I'd say about this is that, um, I, I was naive in the same way as you before the pandemic. I actually thought that we would could have a honest scientific discussion. What I saw during the pandemic was that top scientific bureaucrats, people like Tony Fauci, who, can, uh, who control the budgets of of, of uh, you know like the NIH is forty five billion dollars. Every every single school in the country, uh, medical school in the country of no gets tr a tremendous amount of money from it. But it, it, what people don't know is that he also controls the. The, the, uh, the reputations and promotions of scientists. I work at, at uh, Stanford School of Medicine. I'm a full professor here, right? I, I don't get tenure unless I have an NIH grant. It's because I've been successful with NIH grants that I get tenure. Uh, when Tony Fauci steps into health policy, says, you know, the Great Barrington Declaration is nonsense. You have to, we, you know, we should emulate the Chinese lockdown policy. Uh, it's very difficult for scientists to speak up because their livelihoods are at stake. They, they say, well, if I speak up on this topic that opposes Tony Fauci, I might lose my reputation. Um, why, get in, why get involved with that? So I'll just, I'll just stay quiet. And then there's, then there's the people who like, uh, you know, they, they, they try to seek favor with the king, you know? So like you, 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 you're fighting in the court, like the high court to like seek favor with the king. You speak up and, and attack other scientists who, who, who say, who criticize uh, Tony Fauci's ideas. Um, it's it's this kind of regime, this quiet censorship that that, does, that doesn't get a lot of attention, but really was was the key to why the answer to your question why scientists didn't speak up. Doctor, if if Dr. Fauci has that much power in this country, has it always been that way, where this one bureaucrat controls this huge amount of money and he can buy the opinions he wants? Is this something new? Because this is not anything I've ever heard of before COVID. I, I think that that power existed. It just became abundantly clear during COVID. Uh, uh, someone like me, Tony Fauci is kind of, is uh, in some ways unique, 38 years ahead of this ma massive uh, pile of money uh, controlling what countless biomedical scientists think and say. That's, I think, has been true for a very, very long time. And he's unique in the, in the sense of 38 years. He knows the Washington inside 
like nobody else. He's his particular genius is is bureaucratic infighting inside of Washington. Why you ask yourself, Jesse? Why didn't the CDC director play a key role into setting COVID policy in 2020? Shouldn't shouldn't the CDC director Robert Redfield have been the key key player in this? No, it was it fell to someone in the NIH who's only they're only supposed to do is fund research, not set health policy. Um, uh, Tony Fauci is is and and uh, and Francis Collins, who was his boss at the NIH, uh, essentially staged a soft coup, in taking over COVID policy when they should not ever have been anywhere near uh, near, near the, the reins of power. I mean, I, I I thought of him when I first saw him give that that uh, you know that famous uh, uh, press conference with with uh, President Trump I, 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 in March of 2020. I thought to myself, we no longer have an elected president. We have in effect. A, a new, uh, a, in effect, a real, uh, the real president is Tony Fauci, setting domestic policy. I've, I've thought that for two, at least you know, two, two years after that, he effectively ruined two presidencies. Yeah, he did. What is the Great Barrington Declaration? It's your book. What is it? Well, it's it's not, it's not a book. It's a, it's a, it's actually one page long. You can go to a website. The website is literally it's very easy to read. We uh, it's a document that Mar I wrote with Martin Kuldorf of Harvard University and Sunetra Gupta. Of uh, the Oxford, uh, and she, they're both fantastic uh, scientists and epidemiologists. Uh, we wrote it arguing that there's a very steep age gradient in the risk of COVID, death from COVID. Older people, at 60, 70% of the deaths are people over the age of 65. Um, a very large fraction, I mean, I guess like 80% of the deaths are over age 65. Um, whereas for children, it's very low risk. So COVID risk is very age stratified. On the other hand, the lockdowns in October 2020, we wrote it, were doing tremendous damage. They've done tremendous damage to the lives of, of young people, many, many lower people, basically everybody. So the Great Barrington Declaration says, let's, instead of these crazy lockdown policies, let's do focused protection of older people. Let's move heaven and earth to try to give resources to protect older people who are at high risk, while at the same time lifting lockdowns, letting kids go back to school, opening businesses, churches, mosques, whatever whatever have you, um, so, that people, so that the harms from the lockdowns don't get done to low risk people, um, and that we protect the people who are really at high risk. That's it. That's a, it's a one-page document. We wrote it to like tell people there actually was scientific debate about the lockdowns. You remember back in October 2020, every, you, the impression was, oh, all scientists agree you must do lockdowns. Only crazy people oppose lockdowns. That was never true. That was never true. Um, I knew many, many scientists who disagreed with the lockdowns, thought they were quite damaging, and yet they, they stayed silent. Uh, I wrote it with uh, friends of mine from Oxford and Harvard in order to tell the world, it's really easy to read, uh, tell the whole world that, no, there's another way, that there isn't a scientific consensus on lockdowns. In fact, the scientific consent, the apparent consensus on lockdowns were an illusion, an illusion of consensus enforced by people like Tony Fauci, whose control of the media, control of scientific bureaucracies was, was tremendous. Um, and it fooled people into thinking that the, the only way was a lockdown when there was, really, there was another way. Oh, that, that picture breaks my heart, which you're seeing right there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that there was another way. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, and I really wish we, we had won that policy debate in October of 2020. What happened was that uh, Tony Fauci and Francis Collins um, I mean, they, they con conspired with each other to, to denigrate the, the declaration, to destroy the careers of scientists who tried to, who signed it. Some people actually lost their jobs for signing it. I faced, uh, you know, slander. People started, at, you know, I got death threats. People started asking me why I wanted to let the virus rip and kill grandma when I was calling for focused protection of vulnerable people. Um, it was really, it was really quite something to watch. 
Well, I had hoped that COVID would reveal all this censorship and people would be horrified, but apparently I would be mistaken. This is from the City Journal. The California law would allow state medical boards to punish physicians who spread misinformation or disinformation regarding COVID-19 and its treatment options. The bill defines misinformation as false information that is contradicted by contemporary scientific consensus contrary to the standard of care. Doctor, this sounds like everything you were just talking about being written into law in states, and it sounds horrific, to be honest. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a law called AB 2098 in California. Uh, I wrote to oppose it. Um, uh, it's funny, the, the, the chief author of the law, one of the, in, the, in this California State Senate, Dick Pan, attacked me on Twitter because I do research for a living, right? This law actually affects practicing physicians. What it does is it puts the CDC in the room, in effect, with you when you see your doctor. The doctor then is looking over their shoulder saying, well, what will the CDC think about my, my, prescription, to, my prescription to this, this patient? So they're no longer just thinking about the patient, they're thinking about what will happen to their license if they give their best advice to the patient. Um, so I wrote to oppose this law, and of course I do research, I don't see patients. The chief author of this in the, in the state senate then attacked me on Twitter, uh, you know, go, like just viciously trying to trying to undermine my reputation for opposing this law, which which I think uh, would ha will harm patients and will certainly suppress the speech of doctors who to oppose ridiculous public health orders. Well, doctor, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, what is going on? Speaking of censorship online, Elon Musk at war with Apple. There's COVID stuff in there. We're going to talk to Harry Frederick about that in just a moment. Before we talk about that, let's talk about the fact your Christmas gifts suck. <laughs> no, not the ones you get. The ones you give. Okay, that, you know what? That wasn't fair. My Christmas gifts suck. I'm a bad gift giver. Everyone knows I'm a bad gift giver. The wife says it's because I'm a hyper-logical thinker that if I see you need something, I'll go buy that and get that for you as a gift and that doesn't tug at people's heartstrings. I don't know, I think that makes me sound like a cold-hearted monster, but I'm, I'm a bad gift giver. So I, I need Grip6. Grip6 is how you do your Christmas shopping this year. What are you gonna find there? Well, belts, the most comfortable belts ever, and they look slick, the greatest socks you will ever put on your feet. You've gotta try these socks, and my personal favorite, these wallets. See these? They have a bunch of different designs. Yes, I know mine is cool. You should know that you can also customize your design, like if you wanted my face on your wallet, and I wouldn't blame you if you did. You can do that. It holds all my cards, right? The cards don't come out. Why aren't they coming out? I'm trying to shake them out. That must be a pain, right? I mean, it's nice to have the cards secure, but it must be a pain. Nope. I just squeeze, and they all pop out or lock back in. Go to grip6.com, promo code JESSE, because that gets you a special discount. There's your one-stop shop for Christmas shopping this year. Socks, belts, wallets. Grip6.com, promo code JESSE saves you some money, so don't forget that. We'll be back. Apple has also threatened to withhold Twitter from its app store, but won't tell us why. That was Elon Musk. What is going on in the tech world? What is going on? What's happening to Elon Musk? What's going on at Apple? Let's talk to our expert friend of the show, Kara Frederick, Director of Tech Policy Center at Heritage. All right, Kara, first of all, why should I care about Apple? Or why should Elon Musk care about Apple and Twitter? I don't understand this social media world. Explain to me. 
Okay, does anyone remember a little application called Parlor and how it was effectively snuffed out, um, completely kicked off the scene when it was the number one app in the Apple App Store? Well, they're looking to do the same thing to Twitter. Uh, so the problem here is that Twitter and Google effectively have a duopoly when it comes to the app marketplace. So if you're not on the Google Play Store, if you're not in the Apple App Store, then you are not going to be able to frankly make it as an application. Uh, Twitter, everyone uses Twitter on their phones, right? The dumb ones like me use Twitter on their phones. Rarely does anyone actually just use it or confine it to a desktop. So the fact that Apple and uh, I've, I've heard uh, that Google potentially could be in the works to do this as well, uh, if they ban Twitter from their app stores, then you no one's really gonna use it and Elon loses a ton of money. So we should care because according to Elon, Apple is threatening to do exactly what it did to Parler to Twitter. Okay. Why? What's Apple's problem? I just assumed in this whole billionaire world, you know, Tim Cook, Elon Musk, I assume they're all sipping Chardonnay together. Uh, yeah, yeah, we wish, right? Um, alas, Elon Musk has decided to make Twitter an, an actual marketplace of ideas. Uh, he wants it to be the, the free speech platform for not just America, but the world. His idea is that he'll use to take the First Amendment seriously uh, and, and frankly use it as sort of a guiding principle, you know, if it's not against the law, et cetera he's going to allow it on the, his platform. So he wants to make Twitter free again. Uh, remember when Twitter, Jack Dorsey himself said that we want to be, or uh, a representative said, we want to be the free speech wing of the free speech uh, party. Well, that hasn't happened with Twitter. As we know, it led the way when it came to the Hunter Biden laptop story suppression. They were even breaking links to that New York Post story within the direct messages. So they've taken a suppression of free speech to the nth degree. And Elon said, no, I want to restore this very influential platform for uh, free speech, for free freedom of expression. And the ideological monopoly of Facebook, of Google, of Amazon, they don't like that. And they want things to work as they had before. And that is suppressing dissident or other political perspectives that don't comport with this woke leftist ideology. Okay, how how influential is it, Kara? Because it's, I always assume now I ha I'm on Twitter. I have I have a good time on there, and I, it's useful to find news and things like that. But I never assumed it was that big of a deal. It's not a huge percentage of society that's even on it. I didn't really understand how influential it was until I saw all the communists freaking out about Elon Musk buying it. How influential is the place? Exactly. And you hear that argument, oh, the greater majority of the population of America aren't on Twitter, so it doesn't matter that much. No, this is the this is the, the where the frankly, the politicians, uh, celebrities, commentators, people get their ideas. When Ron Klain, the chief of staff of the White House, is constantly on Twitter getting ideas from, you know, leftists and activists, um, you know, they that makes it important. Uh, I like to say things like, you know, you might not be interested in Twitter, but Twitter is interested in you. There are people who probably have never been on the platform who've frankly lost their jobs because of Twitter activist campaigns that have gone on. Uh, if you look at some Target banning books last year, uh, they did so because people with no followers on Twitter kicked up a, a stink about it. And, you know, books were ripped from the platform. So I think this platform has inordinate influence, especially on, you know, the tastemakers of our day in the White House, etc. So when people are on it, it, it 
actually matters that um, it is uh, going to be wrested away from that ideological monopoly we talked about. Okay, how much power, I mean, you mentioned Google and Apple control basically all of the App Store stuff, so they can just crush him, right? With the, with the snap of their fingers, they can virtually smash Elon Musk into the ground, correct? That, that's the idea, and not just that, but Amazon too. So you'll remember during the whole Parler saga, it was Amazon Web Services that withdrew their cloud hosting services from Parler. So Twitter runs on AWS as well. So if Apple and Google, if, if you know people still just use Twitter on their desktops, then Amazon could pull the plug on Twitter as well. So he's not safe, even if he uh, can you know vanquish the, the Apple and the Google sort of um, going to war with him as well. There been a word that he's actually going to make this, you know, Tesla phone. Uh, he said he hopes it doesn't come to it. But, you know, if, if Apple, Google, Amazon, and the likes the, uh, work together against him, then, I mean, he might have no choice then to get into that business, alas. Okay, what's app neutrality? Uh, app neutrality, that's a, a, that's actually a good question. Um, in terms of, um, I guess, innovation and people sort of being able to use tools that are, you know, have different perspectives, I would say uh, making sure that those applications are, are able to be used as neutral tools, uh, I think that would be uh, something to, um, to think about when it comes to app neutrality. Carol, will you handicap this for me? Because I'm a cynic by nature. You're probably not as much, and you probably shouldn't be, but I'm a cynic by nature. I have always thought, hey, Elon Musk buys Twitter. If he's really going to go for free speech, there's no way the powers that be are going to actually allow even the richest man in the world to do it. They're, whether it's Apple, Google, government, someone's going to smash him. Or is he going to win? Uh, you know, I wouldn't bet against Elon, but you have the Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary herself, saying we're keeping an eye on Twitter. And a lot of these tech companies are, are you know, if they fear regulation, they fear it from the left. Uh, so the way that they've sort of um, worked hand in glove with the Biden administration to police the speech of Americans, you know, I would not be surprised if those kind of nudges were coming from the White House to, you know, work in tandem uh, to... to I would say try to fight Elon Musk to the best of their ability. But again, richest man in the world, um, crazy like a fox. So I think that he uh, he has some cards up his sleeve, and I wouldn't be surprised if he played them. Huh? I hope he does. Kara, appreciate you. Thanks, Jesse. All right. China. What's going on in China? What's going on in China with Apple? What's going on in China with the COVID insanity? Stephen Yates is going to come give us a little update on all that. Now, maybe as you sit there and listen to me and Kara talk about Apple and Google and all these corporations that have gone nuts, maybe you're sitting there thinking, how do we help? How do we fight back? I, I ask myself this question all the time. What can I do? What can you do? What can we do to fight back? Our money. Corporations, as they have grown to align themselves with the communists and the government, they are now intertwined. They're now one, so much of them in this country. We can battle back with our money. Did you see the newest Disney movie? Bombed at the box office? 
because you're putting your money where your morals are. You're being more purposeful with where you spend and don't spend your money. And we have a tool now we never had before. Five years ago, 10 years ago, we didn't have a tool. That, hey, where do I shop? What do I do? Now we do. Pick it up. It's right there in your phone, right there in the app store on your phone. It's called Public SQ. What is it? It's an ever-growing list, an ever-growing database of businesses that share your values. You heading out today? Got to go uh, pick up some tamales. Would you like to know which local restaurant shares your values and which one does not? Public SQ. It is your one-stop shop to put your money where your morals are. Go download it today, all right? We'll be back. The statement you issued or that was issued earlier today didn't include any explicit calls for China to stop detaining and harming protesters and journalists. Why not? We're watching this closely, as you might expect we would. And again, we continue to stand up and support the right of peaceful protest. Um, and I think we're going to watch this closely and, and we'll see where things go. I love this administration. That's how you know. They're never going to do anything about something. Whatever they tell you, we're watching it closely. Hey, we're watching closely. That tells you everything you need to know, and it's telling China everything they need to know, too. Joining me now, Stephen Yates, former Deputy National Security Advisor. All right, Stephen, for those who have, are not aware, and many really are not aware, what's going on in China? Why are there all these protests? Well, there's a lot of reasons for what's happening. There's accumulation of a lot of different things from the dr draconian COVID lockdowns that uh, Americans know what lockdowns are like, but not necessarily Chinese style COVID zero lockdowns. People in Shanghai were on lockdown for almost two full months. The most extreme example happened in Xinjiang where the Uyghurs are the dominant ethnic group in the town of Urumqi and a family was literally welded closed into their apartment when a fire broke out and on video you could hear the family pleading for help and being killed in the fire that is what literally sparked the nationwide demonstrations of this has just gone too far uh, and, and people across China saw that if it happened to that family it could happen to them too and they were fed up Okay, COVID zero. Can you explain that for people who don't know what that term means? Yeah, well, if you just imagine what Fauciism taken to its extreme might be about all that you might do under the, the worst lockdowns, distancing, multiple jabs, whatever your theory is, just amplify that. And that's what China is trying to do, adding in tracking devices and what have you, so that if you want to enter or exit a public building or public transportation, you have to put your smartphone or some other device up and it will give a red, yellow or green signal. And if you get the wrong signal, you do not pass go, you immediately go into severe quarantine. And so does everyone else who came in contact with you or might live near you. And that's why you see some video from time to time of employees fleeing for their lives because word has spread that a co-worker or someone in a dorm has tested positive and they don't want to get locked down indefinitely with no reliable access to food or other resources. Okay, I have a really stupid question, Stephen, but you've been on quite a few times, so you're used to that by now. <laughs> China's a gigantic place. It's just physically, it's a huge place. And then the number of people there, it's, it's a big, big place. Everyone knows this. 
How can the government possibly have the data centers and ability to do that kind of tracking? Or is this just, I'm assuming, in only in urban areas or something? There's no way they have the whole population on lockdown like this, right? Well, they, the urban areas are a lot of the population. And so they, they go, get a lot of that billion plus population just getting to the coastal areas and the big cities. The interior cities that are big also cover a lot of the remainder of that population. And this is a, this is a society where they have given in to pretty intrusive uh, technology and other kinds of systems that grew out of the communist cultural revolution where uh, neighbors and nosy N Nancy's around the corner would uh, spy on each other and spread rumors and people would get called out. Now it's been weaponized with technology. And if you have a country like China where the government couldn't care less about people, human dignity, privacy, ethics, any of that, this is what is coming to a home near you if we don't protect institutions and freedom and check and checks and balances even in our own system. Okay, one question I have is their economy. Now, China's economy is I mean, I know they're tearing down ghost cities or at least abandoning them. They're building whole cities and leaving them be. Then they're spending huge amounts of money in foreign lands to gain global influence. At the same time, they're locking down their own economy in ways no one else is doing right now. How do they have the money for this? Well, they have the same, the way the North Koreans have money to starve their people for a generation and still develop nuclear weapons. Uh, I'm guessing that they got a cool mint for providing some supplies to Putin's army for the invasion of Ukraine and other kinds of things. Uh, there seems to be a, a, a high level of tolerance for pain among the Chinese people and uh, the Chinese government, for sure, you're not wrong. They're doing everything to make things harder for their people and their economy. There is no way these lockdowns from the ones in Shanghai months ago to the ones rolling through the country now, there's no way this doesn't have a, a devastating impact on their gross domestic product. Uh, but by brute force and the fear that you or a member of your family might get disappeared, that people comply. Okay, how much are they helping Russia? Because we haven't heard very much about that China helping Russia out. Yeah, funny that we don't get a lot of coverage about that because seemingly anything that flows into that theater just disappears into a discussion about Ukraine by itself. But yeah, from really from the beginning of this conflict, uh, Putin went to China, had a conversation with Xi Jinping on the margins of the Olympics. All of this was kind of a known known, as the ghost of Don Rumsfeld would say. Uh, and going forward, there have been other meetings in Central Asia and elsewhere where uh, cheap uh, prices on fuel were provided by Russia to China and arms and other material support were given by China to Russia. Uh, it, you know, who knows what it gets used for, but a reasonable person could guess. Okay, Taiwan. The Taiwan question keeps coming up. It feels like everyone thinks this is inevitable, is it? It's not inevitable. Nothing is inevitable, but it's definitely the case that Xi Jinping and the Communist Party seek to use every form of pressure, influence, and maybe even attack at some point to try to make Taiwan come into the fold. There were local elections in Taiwan last weekend 
where the party that tends to seek negotiation with China got an advantage. A rational person in Beijing, if they exist at this point with any influence, would say there's no need to push the envelope right now because Taiwan politics, the pendulum is swinging back and forth and there is no reason for fear or concern right now. But then again, if there was a rational person in charge in Beijing, they wouldn't be thinking they need to take, take advantage of Taiwan anyway. They benefited enormously from investment and other exchanges from Taiwan and their growth. It would make no good sense to kill the goose that laid the golden egg. But again, if they followed that thinking, they wouldn't have crushed Hong Kong. Okay, which brings us to Apple, because I saw this. This is from Business Insider. Apple puts a 10-minute time limit on airdrop in China after protesters used it to spread posters opposing President Xi and the Chinese government. Apple is siding with the Communist Chinese Party. Do I have that right? Yeah, this is outrageous, uh, but not a surprise for corporate woke folk who like to crap on America, but then enable the most brutal regimes around the world. Uh, starting from the Green Revolution in Iran a decade ago, uh, it was known that those that organize would use social media and technological tools to try to communicate and organize. Airdrop was one of the ways that people were getting around sensors and monitoring. The Chinese government puts in a request to limit and an update miraculously targeted to that geography and not the rest of the world limits the menu of options for airdrop users. It's an absolute outrage, never should have happened. It's an example of malign CCP influence getting into big tech. But again, not a surprise we knew this was happening. The uh, only surprise is we caught them. Is there something we should be doing to Apple about this? Well, I don't think that people, that any company should be able to enjoy the benefits of market access in the United States if they're enabling hostile powers that seek to undermine the American way of life. Uh, that might be a wild and wacky way of thinking, uh, but I don't think that any of these companies that are bending to the Chinese Communist Party's oppression against the Uyghurs and that genocide or the crushing of Hong Kong as the financial window into the world or any of this stuff, that they should have uninhibited access to our markets. Congress talked about reigning in big tech and social media. The new Congress really needs to step in and make it serious. Stephen Yates, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Speaking of Elon Musk, AOC, my buddy Mays put together a hilarious light in the mood. We'll play it for you next. All right. It's time to lighten the mood. And I do love a good internet video mashup. I'm not sure if anybody does it better than Mays. Just super, super talented. So AOC and Elon Musk have been chirping back and forth at each other. And I thought this is just so well done. I apologize. That was perfect. I'm breaking all the rules. I'm breaking all the rules. Well, I guess uh, we might make some mistakes. Who knows? I think one of the biggest problems we have in D.C. is that everyone's egos are too big. I actually just 
prefer to have no titles at all. You're opening yourself up. I'm just being me. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country, giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball. From Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.